Hey, Risto here with uh, George Mason University. Uh, welcome to another episode of Playing with Research in Health and Physical Education. Uh, we are here today with Dr. Kevin Andrew Richards from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Um, Kevin and I are Airbnb buddies when we go to AERA. He's a good friend. Uh, he has uh, just published a paper. Um, this is October 2019, so it is pre-print right now on Journal of Teaching and Physical Education. Um, and this was co-authored by uh, Nicholas Washburn, who's now at Western Washington University, and Yihan Li uh, at Hankook University of Foreign Studies. Uh, the title of the article, which we'll link to at the bottom of this uh, notes section, is Understanding Emotional Labor in Relation to Physical Educators' Perceived organi- Organizational Support, Affective Commitment, and Job Satisfaction. And I will note that we did do a, another podcast about this, um, about the methods of it using structural equational modeling and confirmatory factor analysis. And uh, that's in a separate podcast. So if you're interested in that, um, please uh, listen to that as well as we don't go too far into depth on the uh, specific methods in this study and the data analysis. So, uh, Kevin, thank you so much for joining us and uh, to talk about your article. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me, as always, Risto. Uh, love the podcast. Uh, love what you're doing with it. Um, I think it's a great opportunity to, to share out some research uh, that, that we're doing and that others are doing uh, in the field. So, Happy to be here and just wanted to give a, another shout out to my co-authors, Nick Washburn, who is uh, my doctoral student at the University of Alabama when I was working there. And he's gone on to Western Washington and has really made a, a nice start to his career for himself. Uh, and then Yihun Lee, um, who was at one point at the University of North Alabama, but has uh, since moved back to his home country and uh, has a faculty appointment at, at Hancock University, as you mentioned. Awesome. And and I like the that we're burying this a little bit. I, I think we get caught in doing a lot more qualitative papers. Um, and this is a, a complete opposite of a qualitative paper, in my opinion, very, very uh, stats heavy. Um, I was uh, reading this paper as I was watching the World Series and um, and uh, I, I did not understand all of it. So hopefully you're, you're going to help out a little bit on that. Um, it was... Um, a lot of great information and uh, a couple new theories that we're uh, working into physical education. So um, yeah. can you can you begin by just telling us a little bit about the background leading up to the study? Um, I know you've done some prior research examining uh, PE teachers' work-life experience. So uh, how is the study positioned within your larger line of inquiry? Yeah, yeah. So um I might take a minute or two of liberty here. I think one of the coolest things about this podcast is being able to kind of see what happens behind the scenes with research. Uh, and so I think that that might be a good place to start with this. Um, so uh, Yi Hoon Lee is um, a colleague that I've been working with for probably the last uh, three or four years. Um, and uh, he has a background in sport management um, uh, specifically, but has been interested in the, the work-life experiences of physical education teachers as well. Uh, and, and so this was just one of those kind of cool situations where um, back probably in 2014 or 15, um, I, I came across a paper that he had written. <clears throat> uh, I think Google Scholar recommended it to me or something. And the, and the title caught my attention looking at kind of teacher emotion 
um, which which is uh, an extension, perhaps, of some of the work that I've done before, looking at teachers' workplace experiences. Mm-hmm. But I've focused a ton on emotion, um, and I just you know sent him one of those blind emails. Hey, read this article. Think it's super cool. Would love to talk with you about maybe collaborating sometime. Um, and that kind of spurred this uh, collaboration that's netted us, I don't know, maybe five or six publications uh, with a few others in review and, um, you know, a, a, a data collection ongoing for a couple of others. And, you know, uh, Yihun was just such a generous collaborator. You know, he just gets this random email from somebody who he's never met before. And right away he says, well, hey, actually, I have some data that I've been playing with, with for, you know, another, another study. Um, and he does a lot of structural equation modeling too. So we, when we collaborate, that tends to be the framework that we work in. And, uh, you know, we, he, I jumped on board and helped him with this first publication. Uh, it went well. And so this is probably paper five or six out of, out of that lineage. Uh, and we brought Nick Washburn in because he got some training in structural equation modeling as well as he was working on his PhD with me. Um, and, uh, we've kind of got a nice little research team going here. That's awesome. That's a nice, uh, that's a nice cold call. That's a nice result yeah. from a, uh, from a cold call. I've, I've emailed well, some people and they just don't respond back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that definitely happens. Uh, no, no, uh, no, no argument there, but you know, for, for, um, grad students or early career faculty or really anybody, if you read something and you're interested in it and you want to, and you, and you kind of have that motivation to reach out and ask a question or talk to one of the authors, send an email. I mean, the worst thing that can happen is that you don't get a response back. Um, best thing that can happen is it turns into a fruitful relationship. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you used in this uh, study affective events theory. Can you uh-huh. tell us what that is uh, for our listeners? Yeah, so this is um, a, a kind of a social psychological theory that that really hasn't been used very much in in physical education uh, in the past. But uh, kind of another cool story related to how I came about this. Um, so one of the kind of developers or initial authors of affective events theory, uh, Weiss, um, was a faculty member at Purdue, and he was a uh, a committee member on on Russ Carson Russ Carson's dissertation. Um, and uh, him and Templin uh, Weiss and Templin had a good relationship and had become friends. And so uh, some of this affective events theory stuff framed a lot of we- uh, of uh, Russ Carson's work. And so when I got to Purdue, um, uh, Templin connected Russ and I, and we started working on a few different projects together. Uh, and uh, we used uh, affective events theory for some of that, and it kind of gave me this introduction to the theory. Um, and then, uh, you know, again, kind of under the hood of, of this research, when we submitted the first version of this paper to the JTPE, we used kind of a hodgepodge of maybe three or four different theories that we tried to kind of piecemeal together. Um, and, you know, it's, it's one of those things when you're writing it up, it sounds real good. But then when you get the, the reviews back and you reread it, uh, it's like, oh, wow, yeah, that didn't work out as well as I thought it would. Uh, and so the, the reviewers kind of critiqued, uh, right, and rightfully so, uh, our approach to theory uh, in, in the article. And that forced us to kind of step back and, and think about the project a little bit more holistically uh, and, and really 
uh, identify a theory that, that we thought worked best. And having had worked with affective events theory in the past, it, it just kind of clicked for me that, hey, this might be a, a good one to use. But basically, um, uh, affective events theory is a framework for understanding the relationship between work events, the emotions that they arouse and job related attitudes and including um, job satisfaction and an affective commitment to the workplace, which was kind of our uh, our dependent variables in this particular study. So essentially, these these workplace experiences or events are believed to to prompt different affective states that influence that influence um, affective driven behaviors as well as evaluative judgments about our work. So you might have um, an experience in the workplace where let's say that you have a class that is uh, really challenging on this particular day. So I go into uh, my physical education class on Wednesday and, you know, they're, they're wound up uh, and uh, for whatever reason, they're, they're not cooperating real well that day. You know, anybody who's taught has probably had that kind of experience and you have that initial kind of frustrated response um, that's driven by um, the, the emotional experience of, of working with that group on that particular day. And that might influence how I feel for a period of time later on in that day. So my next class after that rough one might come in and I might have that kind of emotional hangover from being frustrated with the first class. And that might impact the way that I work with my students in that second class. Um, but you also have like these kind of workplace facets that are more of just just elements of the workplace that are always there. And so in physical education, for example, we often teach large classes, um, you know, perhaps upwards of 40, 50, you know, in certain parts of the country, even higher students within a class. And that might be a regular stressor that we see every day. That's just a facet or an element of our work that may also uh, lead us to evaluate our jobs in a certain way. So it's both affective events theory both looks at those kind of immediate emotional responses, as well as those perhaps more drawn out um, experiences that we have on a daily basis that that change the way that we um, view the workplace. And then affective events theory differentiates between uh, job related attitudes in affective states. Um, and, and so that's why in, the, in this particular study, we look at both job satisfaction, which is a job related uh, atti uh, attitude, as well as affective commitment, which is more of an affective um, state relative to uh, your experiences in the workplace. Right. So what was the exact title or not title, the purpose of your study and overview of like kind of the different variables that you were examining? Yeah, so um, we were looking in this study particularly at, uh, uh, and, and there's a, um, a, a figure one I provides kind of like if, if you're looking at the paper as you're listening along or if you want to reference it, figure one on uh, page three of the uh, head of print PDF provides um, kind of a graphic representation of, of the model. And so basically at, at the start, we're looking at perceived organizational support is kind of the initial independent variable that gets entered into the model. And so that's just this feeling of, you know, do I feel supported by the workplace environment? Do, you know, do I feel like my administrators and the people around me, or do they, do they help create a culture in which I, I feel supported? Like I'm a member of the community. Um, and, and our, our belief was that that those feelings of support um, would influence these different emotional labor labor strategies. And so emotional labor is this um, 
construct that has gotten some attention in, in kind of the organizational psychology literature, but, but really hasn't been looked at too much within physical education. So this is kind of one of those kind of novel contributions of this paper. But uh, emotional labor is this process through which teachers kind of regulate their internal feelings to display situationally appropriate emotions. Uh, and, and if you think about, you know, teaching as a profession, there are, are certain ways that you would expect the teacher to act or certain emotions that you would expect them to display. And those emotions may or may not, those displayed emotions may or may not align with how somebody's actually feeling. So if you're stressed and frustrated and you know angry as a teacher because you're having this negative experience with a class or with a colleague um, or with a parent during like a parent-teacher conference, um, you know, the, 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 con the social construction of your job as a teacher probably does not allow you to display that emotion um, because that wouldn't align with expectation. And so that leads to these different ways that we can regulate that external display. Um, and, and there are three different types of emotional labor that have been articulated uh, uh, you know, and used widely in the literature. And, um, and those are the ones that, that we focused on here being surface acting, deep acting, and genuine expression. Uh, and so surface acting is kind of this process where I, um, I know that my internal emotion does not align with my outward emotion or the, emo the outward emotion that I'm able to display. Mm -hmm. And so I make a conscious effort to display a situationally appropriate emotion, even though it doesn't align with how I actually feel on the inside. Um, deep acting is kind of a transitionary process. If you want to think about it that way, it's, it's this attempt to realign internal emotions with outward display. So I know that I'm expected to display this certain set of emotions and I'm going to do what I can to align my internal feelings with that outward display. And previous research has shown that this is actually a fairly adaptive strategy uh, and then it results in less stress because you're kind of getting yourself on board with the mission of the institution uh, in a sense. And you used a good um, example of this in the paper of a, a teacher who is frustrated by students' misbehavior, but they understand that they're, they, the students are still learning, but there are some misbehaviors. So they're kind of taking a deep breath and understanding, okay, and dealing it with a with a different emotion that maybe would like actually like rise up from within and then be right. frustrated and angry at the kid who misbehaves. It's taking a deep breath, understanding, okay, there's misbehavior, but there was some learning that was happening throughout that. Right. So it's kind of like realigning or reorienting those internal emotions to to be maybe a little bit more understanding of the context mm -hmm. and in both of those situations like if you've got a student who's misbehaving and you surface act um, the outward display might look very similar to the outward display of deep acting um, but internally you're you're, fe you're feeling very different things right um, and so the third the third type here um is genuine expression and that that's essentially a situation in which i don't need to um realign my emotions or uh uh regulate my emotional display because how i feel on the inside is aligned and appropriate given the setting so i can show those um emotions on the outside 
Um, and, and so it's it's uh, it's still considered an emotional labor labor strategy, but it's a bit more seamless than would be surface acting or deep acting. Um, and uh, you know the prior literature again has kind of shown that deep acting and surface act or deep acting and genuine expression tend to be pretty positive ways to respond um, uh, in reduced stress, uh, reduce ne- uh, reduce negative outcomes. Whereas surface acting, because there's that mis- there's that obvious like overt misalignment between displayed and felt emotions, that tends to have more of a negative response. Right. So what did you do in the study? So when we go into the methods section, can you kind of briefly explain what the study was? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, we we uh, kind of talking through some of the, the 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 research design issues. So this is you know a cross sectional correlational study. So those are things that always, of course, need to be um, uh, kept in mind. Uh, but we were able to uh, using publicly available um, uh, information posted on school websites and. Uh, databases maintained by state departments of education, we were able to get um, contact information for about, uh, or in total about 1400 teachers uh, from from six different Northeastern states uh, and invited them to participate in the study uh, through email. So, um, uh, you know, this is a kind of a single shot cross-sectional online survey. So, you know, all those things have to be taken into consideration. But we ended up getting um, a total of uh, 323 teachers who entered the survey after pulling out about uh, or after pulling out 26 of them because they they didn't really complete that many questions. You know, they kind of entered the survey but didn't really do much. So we just kind of removed their responses. We ended up with just under 300 total teachers, um, 297 which is a response rate of, of just over 20%, which of course, you know, the higher the response rate, the better. Uh, but, you know, when you're doing single shot survey research, um, that's basically like a cold call uh, between 20 and 30% is about what you're going to get typically. Um, so uh, we, we put together this survey that included 46 uh, total items, including the demographic questionnaire and then different um, uh, uh uh, inventories or questionnaires to measure these different constructs that we've already we've already talked about, um, and then you know uh, got the data from from the folks uh, and uh, used um, uh, confirmatory factor analysis and structural equation modeling uh, as our analytic framework to test that model that we uh, hypothesized that's displayed on um, uh, in Figure One uh, that I referenced before. Uh, and, you know, because we uh, just recorded another podcast talking about confirmatory factor analysis and structural equation modeling, I won't go into the details about uh, about those uh, procedures, but but that's the framework that we used. Right. And so, and I know the, the other podcast kind of goes into loading and the best fit and all this stuff about the model, but when we talk about the results of the study in, in more of broad terms and not getting too granular what what are the major kind of takeaways from uh, from the study? Yeah, so I think the the, the best thing to, uh, to to look at if you're following along to kind of um, get get an idea of, uh, of of the answer to that question would be Figure Two, um, and this is our our final structural model that that shows kind of the the regression pathways 
between the the different constructs that we investigated. And so, um, you know, if if you if you're looking at that figure, uh, we see that um, overall our hypothesized model held up, um, perceived organizational support influenced um, the different types of emotional regulation, um, which then went on to influence. Uh, directly and indirectly, um, effective commitment and, and job satisfaction. Uh, and, and the relationships that we're seeing here are fairly well in line with what we had thought. Um, perceived organizational support um, uh, has a negative relationship with surface acting. So if you're perceiving support within your organization, you're less likely to surface act uh, and you're more likely to, to deep act and to, and to use genuine expression as strategies. And that's important because when we go down through other uh, parts of the model, we see that um, you know deep acting has um, a, uh, a a positive, significant relationship with affective commitment, and so does genuine expression. Um, and, and so, notice if you're looking at the the, the regression coefficients in the model those uh the relationship from deep acting to effective commitment and from genuine expression to effective commitment are, are rather small although they are significant so they are at least statistically meaningful um you know we can have a separate conversation about practical significance uh but statistically there's they are significant um deep acting and genuine expression don't however significantly predict job satisfaction so what that kind of led us to look at then is that those two variables, the, the deep acting and genuine expression, are more aligned with kind of the affective side of teaching uh, than they are with those evaluative judgments of the, of the job overall. But if we back up for a second and look at surface acting, that does have that negative impact on both affective commitment and job satisfaction. Um, and, and that aligns with kind of what we talked about a few minutes ago uh, and with theory. So looking at this globally, what we can see then is that if we focus on um, increasing perceptions of organizational support in the workplace, um, uh, and there are some strategies that administrative leaders can, can do to kind of help their teachers feel uh, more supported, more um more a part of the organization in which they work for physical education teachers perhaps that relates to um reducing feelings of isolation and marginality which are specific experiences that we see a lot in physical education but if we can build that sense of perceived organizational support then that's going to lead people more towards deep acting and genuine expression which are more aligned with these um positive uh, experiences like effective commitment and job satisfaction, uh, but then that increase in perceived organizational support also reduces the incidence of surface acting. So people are less likely to have that stress associated with a misalignment between felt and expressed emotions. Yeah. And we were just at the U.S. Capitol yesterday with my colleague, uh, Dr. Dominique Banville, and we were there uh, <laughs> about teacher retention and induction programs and teacher recruitment and the you know they they cited all these newer facts of you know 44 percent of teachers leave the profession within five years uh, and that's the newest the 2018 2019 fact that they looked at and the biggest thing out of every single person on that panel they talked about how teachers who left felt that they were not supported 
Yeah. The yeah, biggest, yeah. biggest thing. And then the second thing, and they targeted two things. It was teachers and principals. And the issue with principals was that they did not have the professional development opportunities to understand how to support the teachers. So right. there was both of those go into what you're talking about is that perceived organizational support. It's not the top in the top five reasons why those teachers left was never money. They no, know yeah. when they're coming into teaching, people have talked way too much about it, but they know that they're not going to make a hundred thousand dollars a year like right out the gates. And so they understand that the money is not what they're going there for. But if they don't feel supported, they feel like they're isolated. They feel like they're not heard. We're going to continue losing those teachers. And I think what you're saying here in that results and how you're, you know, and looking at 300 PE teachers, you can see how huge of a factor that perceived organizational support is. Yeah, you know, I, I think that you're right entirely, Risto. I don't, I don't think that people come into teaching because they're expecting to get rich. I think they come into teaching because they uh, have a passion for the content or they love working with children. Um, you know, there are maybe a lot of motivators and facilitators, but money's not necessarily one of them. Um, and I think that people generally understand that when they make the decision uh, to take a job in teaching. And, and that's a conscious thing that they're doing where they're saying this is more important than the money. Um, however, when you compound low pay with, with um, suboptimal, to borrow a, a term from Hal Lawson, suboptimal workplace conditions, mm -hmm. then that's where you start to see people saying, you know what? Not sure that this is worth the money. Yeah. Not sure that this is worth it. And, and so, you know, I think that there are a variety of ways to address that. Um, you know, I, I've been a big proponent of of uh, including um, discussions of of emotion and relationship building and advocacy um, and, and these type of uh, kind of social socio political skills within teacher education programs. Um, so that when pre-service teachers uh, complete their degrees, not only are they prepared to, um, you know, in the, with the knowledge and skills required to teach effectively, but they've also been exposed to discussions about schools as workplaces, and they have kind of um, uh, built up um, uh, a, a, a series of strategies that allows them to, to better integrate into and survive and thrive within those workplaces. So I think that, that some of this comes down to teacher preparation. Yeah. But I also think that on the flip side of it, there's a need to, to work with current teachers and administrators to um, uh, you know, better understand how teachers can become more resilient, how they can develop these uh, skills to, to approach their workplace and navigate the specific context in which they work a little bit more proactively and productively. But you know, the more that we talk about those things, uh, I, I don't want to lose sight of the larger issue here, which is that the, the, the social construction of teaching in the United States needs to be reconsidered. We need to have larger discussions at the policy level, at the, at the uh, you know, state and federal policy level related to um, the, the, the realities of, of teaching in contemporary uh, America and, and think about how um, schools might need to be reconceptualized, how physical education might need to be reconceptualized, and how that impacts the teachers who work within schools. Um, and, 
you know, I, I, I think we can do things to, to kind of help people to better work through their environments, but that's a Band-Aid solution. Yeah. And, I, and um, I think we don't have the side of the public right now. One of the facts that they presented at this panel was that 54% of um, parents are saying that their kid, they would not want their child yeah, yeah. going into public education which is yep. which is not great like if you're not no. getting that like if, if it's not a supportive career from the parents point of view and you know that at 16 17 18 they may not be listening to everything that they're saying but they still want their parents approval and the parent is going to push them towards a specific university or college or degree and we're not we don't have the public trust Honestly, no, so. no. And, and not only that, not only, you know, parents or community members, but, you know, you've got in-service teachers who are who are telling their yeah. students, you know, this this you don't want to do this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, our our, you know, now we're kind of starting to talk a little bit about recruitment, I guess. But if, um, you know, if you have an in-service teacher, you know, if you go up to your insert, if you go up to your PE teacher when you're in high school and say, hey, I'm interested in becoming a PE teacher what do you think? And they say, Oh no, you don't want to do that. If you respect that person, that's mm -hmm. going to be your ticket out. You're not yep. going to look at that any further. Yep. So let's, let's bring this back into, and I think we kind of even kind of discussed some of those implications of this research uh, for current and future PE teachers, but what are kind of like concluding thoughts or how do you feel like this all kind of ties into the affective events theory or, um, you know, kind of future steps of what we're doing. Yeah, you know, I, I think that the, the best thing that I can say to that is that, um, you know, through through the work that I've done um, up to this point in my career, and I, and I think that that's reflected in this paper, you know, I, I think that, that, that we have to focus as, as practitioners, uh, as teacher educators, and as researchers, as well as professional development providers, et cetera. In our work with people, we have to remember that teachers are people and that their emotional states, their socialization experiences, um, both prior to and in the workplace, all of these things frame their practice in important ways. Uh, and um, if we forget the personal side of teaching and focus just on, you know, how can we raise MVPA? How can we get, um, you know, skill development uh, better within physical education if we lose the fact that we really at the end of the day have people who are delivering this instruction and those people have emotions they have thoughts they have beliefs that are valid and important to them mm -hmm. um, then then we lose a big part of of what the teaching learning exchange is about um, and, and so i i guess i would just in terms of the global perspective on on what does this mean where do we go from here uh, i would argue for for more um, and uh, in better research focused on the work-life experiences of teachers. And, and what we need to do at some point, and I'll critique myself here, um, is that a lot of the work that, that I've done so far has been cross-sectional and correlational from a 
a statistical standpoint, and that's reflected in this paper. Qualitatively, I've done a lot of um, kind of single shot interview studies where we'll interview 30 teachers about a phenomenon. And, and all that work qualitatively and quantitatively has been great in terms of understanding work-life experiences and the relationships among variables like we see in this study. But at some point, we need to step away from that and beyond that and say, okay, we've learned all of this. Now we need to put it to practice. I really feel like the next step forward, spinning off of research like this, is putting some of these lessons into practice and the development of uh, professional learning experiences for in-service teachers or pre-service teachers related to you know, how do how do we teach teachers to better regulate their emotion? How do we teach them to be better advocates? How can we teach them to build relationships so that they increase perceived mattering? Um, we need to operationalize and, and activate some of this stuff. Well, it's a good thing you're early on in your career. So you have the rest of your career to, uh, to study <laughs> all of that and put that into action. So uh, I, I think you bring up great points. I think it's it, it's a very interesting concept that you know permeates through other you know teaching fields not just physical education i think you yeah. see a lot of this but i think the increased marginalization of pe just like you know highlights this even more um and i i want to thank you for your time um i think it's fascinating to look at and you've done a really good job of this, of bringing other theories that haven't been done in physical education and bringing those into, into PE. And, you know, the, the terms that you were talking about here are things that I wasn't familiar with. And it was, it's great to kind of get these paper out to kind of broaden our understanding. And I think, you know, your advocacy for, um, you know, teaching about teacher socialization and advocacy in our P programs has has changed how I teach in my classes. And I, you know, I put that in to my syllabus now. I'm like, where am I going to fit this in? Because I really have not done such a good job doing it. So I thank you for improving my my scope and my kind of global understanding. So thank you very much. Uh, is there um, do you have your Instagram handle, your Twitter account, your research gate, um, off the top of your head. Otherwise, um, you know, we'll link to it in the notes section. Yeah, I've got my uh, my Twitter handle here. I, I don't do uh, I don't do all those other fancy things like Snapchat and Instagram. I, I think that uh, I, I kind of missed that wave. Um, those things weren't uh, a big deal when I was growing up, so I wasn't socialized into them. Um, socialized, I like that. <laughs> But yeah, so I, I do have a Twitter uh, handle that, that I use for academic purposes. It's just at K-A-R-R-I-C-H-A-R-D-S-14. So it's it's at K-A-R-Richards-14. Awesome. And you know what? I will challenge you here. The George Mason Physical Education and Health Program just got on Instagram yesterday. Ooh. We are Mason underscore P-E. P-H-E-D, so Mason underscore Fed. And uh, we have one Instagram post. We are uh, we are growing our following uh, currently at 11. So, um, you know, we're, we're getting with the times. I might even sign up for TikTok just to get just to get in with the uh, the younger crew. I heard that's the next wave. 
Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Um, what was it, Vine for a while? There was a, another platform called that, Vine. That I think that is the Vine of 2019. Yep, I think TikTok is like the new Vine. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you're right there. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, I don't, I don't know. I, maybe I do need to get up with the times. I just, I haven't done a lot with those other platforms though. There's only so many hours in the day that I can dedicate to social media, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, what is the, uh, ARA SIG 93 handle? Yeah. 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 So, uh, for somebody who's as, who's really uh, as much of a novice at, uh, as social media as I am, somehow I got, <laughs> I got, I got, uh, strapped with running the, um, a Twitter account for for our American Educational Research Association SIG, so it's at A R A R L I P E, um, which is the name of the SIG Research on Learning and Instruction in Physical Education. Uh, it's SIG ninety three. Awesome, thank you so much. Appreciate your time, and uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. Yeah, awesome. Thank you.